You are listening to the Speak Podcast. The podcast featuring talks from Speak, a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Speak is a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Each Speak Talk features three key moments. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we are bringing our talks to your device. Our speakers are stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight, and now onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Speak Podcast. I'm your host for today, George Andriopoulos, the architect and one of the co-leaders here at Speak. Today's episode is entitled Powerful Women, and that is our micro theme for today. As you can be sure, we have a ton of powerful women in our library of published speakers, and today we're going to highlight three of them specifically. Episode 13 does a deep dive into talks coming from Del A.D. Jones, Monica Pierre, and Michelle Ayala Rivera. So let's dive in right now. Our first talk for the day comes from published speaker Del A.D. Jones, who spoke at Speak Freedom at the Belmore Movies and Showplace in July of 2023. In this powerful and inspiring talk, Del A.D. Jones takes us on a personal journey of healing from codependency and narcissistic abuse through self-love. She recounts the pivotal moment when she chose to leave an emotionally abusive marriage, determined it would be her last dysfunctional relationship. Reflecting on her painful childhood, she describes how it impacted her self-esteem and ability to function in healthy relationships. Determined to break free from this destructive cycle, she embarks on a transformative path of self-love and healing. Her story highlights the power of self-love and encourages others to embrace their own worth, reclaim their voice, and live a life of happiness and fulfillment. Without further ado, here's Del A.D. Jones with Self-Love healing from codependency and narcissistic abuse. February 14th, 2008. I was sitting on the edge of a bluff overlooking the Pacific Ocean, practicing my daily meditation, when I heard a voice from deep within me say, get out now before he kills you. You need to learn to love yourself more than you love him. Even though it was Valentine's Day, my heart was breaking. A year earlier, I had discovered some painful truths about my marriage. As much as my codependent thinking was arguing for me to stay in the marriage, I knew I needed to leave. My husband may not have posed a a physical threat, but the emotional abuse was killing me. I was a shell of the woman he'd met 18 years earlier, Back then, I'd been a successful Hollywood stylist. But on that day, as I overlooked the ocean, I felt like a rag doll with all the stuffing pulled out. I was a nervous wreck, and any confidence I'd once had was now in shreds. 
This wasn't the first narcissistic relationship I'd been in, but I was determined it was going to be my last. To say I had a dysfunctional childhood would be an understatement. I was born in 1959 in a pious and puritanical community in North Wales, an idyllic part of the UK. However, my childhood was not ideal, and my mother was neither pious nor puritanical. It was the 50s, but she was not your typical June Cleaver housewife. Instead, she was a, a maverick who danced to the beat of her own drum. I was the product of an eight-year affair she had with my father, a married man who lived in the nearby village with his wife and two daughters. Their affair was no secret to his wife or to the community. I was referred to as the little bastard and illegitimate. In my innocence, I thought illegitimate meant that I wasn't as legitimate as others, therefore I didn't have a right to exist. In addition to being called these names, my father never acknowledged me as his child. On my way to the village school each day, I would pass his house, and on the rare occasion I'd see him standing on his front doorstep, I would stare in his direction, just hoping our eyes would meet. They never did. Instead, he would advert his gaze and look the other way and pretend he hadn't seen me. Later on at school, during recess, I would play a game in the far corner of the playground, and I would spin around like a top, just hoping to get a glimpse of him, sneaking a peek at me through the chain-link fence. And he was never there. In my naivety, I thought all fathers must love their children. So his rejection of me must mean that I wasn't good enough to be loved. I thought if I had just been pretty enough, clever enough, sweet enough, kind enough, any of the enoughs you can think of, that he would want to claim me as his child. He never did. My home life was also challenging. As a single parent trying to raise seven children, my mother did anything she could to raise money to care for us. So she rented this rambling big mansion and converted it into a home for a residential home for people with um, mental disabilities. Now, while she slept in separate quarters, my siblings and I slept amongst the patients. There were no locks on our doors, no privacy, no safety. Imagine one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and I think you'll get the picture. Between my father's abandonment and my mother's neglect, I grew up believing that I wasn't worthy of being loved. I didn't know it at the time, but both my parents were narcissists, and their lack of love and attention was due to their deficits, not mine. Unfortunately, when we grow up in a dysfunctional environment, we tend to blame ourselves, not our parents. It's easier for us to think there's something wrong with us than believe that the people who are supposed to love and care for us are incapable of doing so. Growing up feeling unloved by our parents, we find it hard to love, and love ourselves. When we don't love and value ourselves, we feel worthless and empty inside. 
When we feel empty inside, we look for outside validation. That sets us up for the seduction and flattery and love bombing of a narcissist. Then, once we're caught in that web of that narcissistically abusive relationship, we find it hard to leave, believing this is all we deserve. It's important to remember that our children are our greatest gifts. And as parents, it's our responsibility to love our children unconditionally. When we raise our children in a happy, healthy, loving environment, they grow up to be happy, healthy, loving adults who know how to give and receive love. As painful as the end of my marriage was, it was the beginning of my journey towards finding self-love. Instead of doing my usual jumping from one dysfunctional rela relationship to the next, I decided to spend the next two years alone. During that time, I studied for my master's in spiritual psychology. Those two years were pivotal in my healing. First, I learned how my childhood contributed to me developing codependency. Furthermore, I learned why I was attracted to narcissistic men. But most importantly, I learned self-love. When I first heard the words of the French priest and philosopher Pierre de Jardin say, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I felt chills running up my spine. I finally got it. If we are both spiritual and human rolled into one, and we all come from the same spiritual energy that creates all living things, then that meant that I was equal to everyone else on the planet. For somebody that always felt less than, this was life-changing for me. Looking back, I realize that all my relationships have served as a mirror reflecting back to me how I felt about myself. When I didn't love and respect myself, my partner didn't love and respect me. When I didn't see myself as equal to everyone else, my partner didn't see me as equal to him. And when I abused myself, my partner abused me. The relationship we have with ourselves is the most important relationship of all, and self-love is the most important love of all. When we truly learn to love ourselves, the universe reflects that love back to us. It was only once I learned to truly love myself did I attract a partner who truly loved me. I'm happy to say for the last 13 years, I have been in the most wonderful relationship with a beautiful man who loves, cherishes, and respects me. And I can honestly say I've never been happier. And my relationships aren't the only area of my life that has improved. Now that I love and honor myself, I've stopped hiding out and playing small. I'm no longer that sad, illegitimate little girl who didn't think she had a right to exist. Now I take my rightful place on this planet. I know that my voice matters. And by sharing my story, 
I'm giving hope to others that they too can overcome their childhood trauma and learn to love themselves. For the last 15 years, Valentine's Day has held a very special place in my heart. It's not only the day that I celebrate my love for my children and my partner. More importantly, it's the day I celebrate my love for myself. In addition to the cards that I buy for my loved ones, I buy a card for myself. And in it, I write everything that I love and appreciate about me. And I invite you to do the same. But why wait until Valentine's Day? Why not start today? By writing a card or a love letter to yourself, expressing what a beautiful, incredible, unique, lovable being you are. Thank you. That was Del A.D. Jones. She gave such an incredible talk on that freedom stage. And believe it or not, that was her first talk of this type that she has ever given on a stage. Del was so much fun to work with, and it was so interesting to see how worried she was that her voice would come through on that stage. But as you can see, she was a total pro, and we cannot wait to see her take many, many more stages. Thank you, Del. Our next talk comes from our Speak Homecoming event, which took place in Carrollton, Texas in March of 2023. Here's the producer of Speak Homecoming, Cheryl West Long. Our next published speaker is Monica Pierre. Monica came to Speak Homecoming with two distinct advantages. She has the silky smooth voice of a former reporter and morning talk show host with experience in both radio and TV. And she loves telling stories, which is a key aspect to the Speak platform. It took a little convincing, however, to get this reporter to shift from telling other people's stories to telling her own, no matter what it was or where it landed. Monica's determination to level up as a speaker drove her to push through the discomfort and deliver this powerful talk that closed the night. From Speak Homecoming, recorded on March 30th, 2023 at the K Plaza Art Center in Carrollton, Texas, here is Monica Pierre with When the Front Room Won't Open. Route 1, Box 200, Branch, Louisiana, zip code 70516. That was the mailing address of the tiny five-room house off the gravel road next to the woods where I grew up. Once you climbed the two uneven steps and opened the screen door you were in, seven people lived in that sharecropper's house. My dad, mom, me, my three younger sisters, and my brother. We didn't own the house but my parents made sure it felt like home and was always neat and clean. Faith and family lived there alongside hard work, determination, bigger dreams, and stories. The first room you entered was the kitchen, the heart of the house, where we got our fill of mom's Louisiana cooking. The kitchen served several functions. It was a den, where we watched our favorite shows on a seven-inch portable black and white TV. 
where after we washed the dishes and swept the floor, knelt for nightly prayer. There was no getting out of that one. And it was a place where people could come and share their stories of loss and disappointment. And they always found my mom willing to listen and offer words of encouragement and words of wisdom. It was a place where my father told hilarious stories from his childhood, how he wanted to own his own home and make life better for his children. There were two bedrooms. When we were very young, all the kids slept in the same room. Two tiny beds, two girls in each, my baby brother on the floor. After all these years, I still think he got the best part of that deal. <laughs> and then there was the front room. We called it that simply because it faced the front of the gravel road. It wasn't like the other rooms that welcomed laughter and stories and life lessons. The door was usually closed and we couldn't go in there to play or mess it up. You went in there to dust, clean and make sure everything is in order just in case company came. It was where my mother meticulously housed the best of the hand-me-down furniture and mementos. And yes, there was plastic on the sofa and chairs. There was only so much we would know about the front room, so I made up my own story. It was my room. It was a place in my mind where I could go and have a few moments of peace and quiet in a crowded house. It was where I could let my tears flow when someone told me that my dreams were unrealistic or ridiculous. Where in my head, I could replay all arguments with the kids I went to school with. I would always come out the winner. It was where I could say what I wanted to say and I didn't have to bite my tongue or listen to conventional wisdom, or follow the path that society said was good enough for me. I needed the front room to be my room. I've always been fascinated by stories. As a reporter, the ones I love to tell are about people who are not well-known. That family that lost everything in a fire. Hurricane Katrina survivors, the one who leaves the good, safe corporate job to start a nonprofit. I take great care with the stories of others. I want them told with dignity, and if I stay out of the way, it is the story that takes center stage. But the truth is, I've hidden behind my passion for telling the stories of others. I've used that passion to keep the focus, the spotlight off of me. And that passion has been used to reinforce messages that told me to wait my turn. Don't cause a fuss. Don't make a mess. Sometimes we encounter a person who knocks us off our feet, stuff, just do as they're possible with us. It makes us see what we need to see. She's well known in her industry, poised, insightful. About three years ago, we were at a networking event, sitting at the right, the same table. And then suddenly it was just the two of us. So, Monica, 
What's your story? I was well prepared to tell her a little bit about myself, my standard soundbite, what I do at the station, how long I've been there, but the words just wouldn't come. And I could tell she really wanted to know about me. She leaned in, looked into my soul. She really wanted to know. I wanted to run out of the room. As she got up to leave, she whispered, Monica, you have a powerful story to tell. I wanted to say, can you tell me what it is? I felt like a fraud. For long before that day, I had been thinking about my story, what to say about myself beyond what I do for a living. As a reporter, I had become so comfortable keeping the focus off of me. I was an objective reporter, proud of that. But I noticed that I had started to downplay my own story, diminish it, that I had become like the front room, guarded, holding my story close, covered in plastic, only for visiting, not for living in. Spotless. Nothing out of order or explored. A mystery. The world would only get to know so much. As reporters, we work in the moment. Get the story, get the facts, stay out of the way. But we can't afford to sit in the emotion of that moment. If we're to do this work, we need to be detached, something that is necessary. Because if we sit in the moment of, in the emotion of that moment, we can't hold objectivity in that space of it. It becomes hard because what we have to do is move on, move on to the next assignment, the next person's story. I had become so good at that. So good that I won an Emmy. But then I hid it in a drawer. For a journalist, the thought of a story not finished or one not followed up on can be unsettling. You need the beginning, the middle, the end. You have to finish. You are on deadline and it better be ready by five o'clock. But what I now know is that my story is unfolding and I'm choosing to live it as a developing story, to learn it, and that I don't have to be limited to sound bites or tied in a nice neat bow every time I tell it. It doesn't have to be perfect. All I have to do is be willing to live it and be honest. And that is a thing of beauty. So, Monica, what's your story? While I may not be able to fully answer my colleague from three years ago, I would give her an update. I would tell her, first of all, that she was absolutely correct. I do have a powerful story to tell. And that right now, it's about being vulnerable, being open, honest, by being brave, 
sharing the doubts and the joys and boldly talking about my achievements and that my story is worth telling, worth owning, that my story matters. And it deserves to be told with the same amount of dignity and care that I have given others. That old house at Route 1, Box 200, Branch, Louisiana, is gone, torn down years ago. The front room is gone. But I don't need it. I don't need to go back inside. For I am here. My story is here. Out in the world. Thank you, Monica, for sharing your beautiful story with us, especially when it wasn't entirely tied up in a bow. And I can promise you that you do not need that front room anymore. I am happy to report that since the recording of her talk, March 30th, she has since been nominated for another Emmy. And she assures me that if she wins, that Emmy will not be hidden in a drawer. Congratulations, Monica, on your nomination, and we wish you luck. Our final talk comes from our Speak Heritage event, which took place July of 2023 in Levittown, New York. Here's producer Dana Lopez to introduce the talk. Hi, this is Dana Lopez. I am a published speaker myself, but I was also the producer of the pop-up event Speak Heritage from July 2023 in Levittown, New York. Speak Heritage was a really amazing event, especially for me to connect with 10 different speakers from all different backgrounds. And this speaker was the actual final speaker of the night, and that was not an accident. She brought the house down with her energy and her enthusiasm and her wit and just her personality in general. And I am so proud to have brought her on the stage for Speak Heritage because she was the perfect person to be there. And I'm just going to let her take it away because she does it so well. With her talk, My Brown is Beautiful, please take a listen to the incomparable Michelle Ayala Rivera. My Brown is beautiful. <sighs> Truth be told, I'm grieved and even a little bit embarrassed at how long it's taken me to say that out loud and actually mean it. Full disclosure, I'm still working on it. See, from my earliest memories, I learned that brown wasn't really a color that anybody wanted. It was more something that was accidentally created and you didn't like. Like I remember as a kid working on this beautiful masterpiece with finger paints and having the brilliant idea to mix all of the colors together, just knowing I was gonna end up with this vibrant explosion of hues, only to end up with more of a muted nondescript brown followed by the collective ill from onlookers. How disappointing, how embarrassing. Growing up, I learned that brown, my brown, wasn't pretty or enchanting or desirable. It was the last crayon picked from the box, unless you were coloring trees or poop. 
It was the sheet of construction paper nobody wanted. It was the home decor and color scheme of the drab, ugly, and perpetually alone. Brown was a lot of things, rejected, unwanted, unworthy, but certainly not beautiful. As I got older, Brown became more about my culture and my identity. See, I'm a first-generation New Yorican from the boogie. BX, baby! Yeah, yeah. If you're not from New York, it just means from the Bronx. My parents are from Mayagüez and Bayamón, Puerto Rico. My grandparents are from towns that may not even exist anymore in PR. I lived in the projects of Watson and St. Lawrence and ate arroz con gandule and sopa de salchichón and pastelón and tons and tons of corned beef hash. Ooh, sorry. Sorry. More than I ever wanted to for non-Spanish speakers. That's just a bunch of really good Puerto Rican food. Uh, most of it, most of it. As a family, we had parties for birthdays and holidays and because we freaking feel like it days and everybody brought something to share, we laughed until tears ran down our faces, kids fell asleep in obscure corners of the apartment and then everybody caught together, cleaned up and came back to do it all over again a couple of weeks later. Everybody spoke Spanish and English and Spanish some more. We all went to the same schools. We all learned how to dance salsa and merengue in the sala, the living room. Learned how to cook in la cocina, the kitchen, and learned how to rep la bandera, the Puerto Rican flag. Now, while all of those things truly meant being brown, I realized it wasn't the only thing. Being brown meant struggling professionally, financially, emotionally. It meant having a low expectation with respect to my level of intelligence and my academic capability. It meant being ill-prepared for higher education. It meant working three jobs to pay for my way through college, barely having enough time to go to my classes, and graduating tens of thousands of dollars in debt. It meant neither having the know-how nor the resources for proper nutrition and all of the resulting health struggles. When I looked out in my community at mi gente, my people, I began to realize that being brown was way more about the struggle than it was any of our achievements or even the richness of our culture. As a matter of fact, there was even like this unspoken rule, even from within my community, that if I wasn't struggling, I wasn't really Latina. Well, not enough. I carried the weight of this obscure identity, this brown burden, for longer than I wish I ever had. But then, I had this perate moment. You have those perate, perate, perate. Which, for non-Boricua Spanish speakers, it's actually pronounced espera usted. Which in the English vernacular just means, hold up, wait a minute. 
I found myself now as a mother of my own brown babies. And like any parent, I was challenged with what kind of legacy I wanted to leave them. Like I knew that I wanted to pass on integrity and passion and kindness and excellent work ethic, all these good things, but not the brown burden. I realized I had been tasked to teach them these things, but to do so, I had to do more than just tell them. I had to show them. It was time to take back my pen and begin writing my own brown narrative rather than living the one that had been written for me. It was time to reflect the truth of my brown facet and equip my babies with what they needed to write the truth of their own brown facet. I went back to that day when I was creating that beautiful masterpiece and started thinking about how I got to that color brown to begin with. See, at its most basic level, the color brown is actually made from the three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow. Different saturations of each color actually result in the different shades and hues of brown. So in essence, it takes a whole bunch of color just to make brown. When I looked down at my brown babies, I saw the same thing. This was an opportunity that I had been given to create yet another beautiful masterpiece. And they too were that myriad of atoms and cells and chromosomes and experiences all converging together to make these brown babies who are absolutely beautiful. My brown identity is beautiful because it's made up of the scarlet of the struggle and heartache of my people, the tangerine of our art and music and dancing, the chartreuse of our sustenance and landscape, the violet of our bold dreams and audacious desires, the, the azure of our triumphs, the gold of our skills and talents and accomplishments. But my brown narrative, oh, it is way more beautiful with its own multifarious chromaticity that changes in hue from season to season, but it is still real and it is still mine and it is still necessary in this world. Yes, I am brown a Taino, Spaniard, African mix from Watson and St. Lawrence, a salsa and merengue dancing, penil eating, curly haired, big lips, full hips, boricua, or New Yorkua. <laughs> but in the narrative I'm currently writing, I am also a phenomenal wife that embodies Proverbs 31 a spectacular mama that is raising four world changers, a brilliant mechanical engineer with an innovative mind, an author that shares her heart vulnerably and changes souls, 
a practitioner that is changing my community one plate at a time, a creator of spaces for the bruised, battered, and broken, a lover of all things art, music, and dancing, an anointed child of the almighty God, and I am just getting started. So wherever you fall on the brown spectrum, from the creamiest ivory to the deepest mahogany, know the heritage that forges your identity, but have the audacity to take back your pen and write your truth about your facet because this world needs to hear it. My name is Michelle Awilda Ayala Rivera. And my brown is beautiful. And so is yours. Thank you. That was Michelle Ayala Rivera with her talk, My Brown is Beautiful, which was part of Speak Heritage in July 2023. And Michelle brings life into the room as soon as she steps into it. So as you can see, she just was just amazing. And her story is beautiful, like her brown. So thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story with us. That does it for this week's episode of the Speak Podcast. Please, please join us again next week for another incredible episode. We have some surprises in store for you guys. Coming up are a few bonus episodes that you are not going to want to miss. So tune in next week and every single Tuesday for the Speak Podcast. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. Speak Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by Fred P. Banning, Jason Martin, and George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Champions Day, is by Lupus Nocti. Incidental music, Melting Places, is by Andreas Kantu. Music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. The Speak Podcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow Speak at Speak underscore event on Twitter and at Speak event on all other social media platforms. Visit our website, speakevent.com, for upcoming events, channel partner, sponsorship, and Speak at Work opportunities. And follow all the great podcasts produced by Lunchpad 516 Studios.